With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Alliance show as we are working our way here through the month of May. Very quiet time, obviously um, around football, not quiet around basketball and baseball uh, with two key weekend series left to go against Arizona State and Michigan uh, right on that NCAA bubble. So uh, putting a wind on that, but guys, I wanted to get to this, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we look at this week and kind of what it means for Nebraska's running back position because we're going to get a better idea by Friday of the Maurice Washington situation in California and, and kind of what direction that goes. And it feels like it's gone forever, but that's really everything with the legal process. I think legal process step typically doesn't you know go quickly, especially when you're talking about California to Nebraska and and you know, maybe moving things back so a college student can get out there when classes are out of session, et cetera. We're going to find out a lot, I think, by Friday. And then, obviously, the Dedrick Mills situation with his academics. I think there's some different information out there. And, Nate, I'll go to you first on this about kind of what he needs to get academically, whether it's two A's and a B. That, that's one, one theory out there. Or he could get into Nebraska by getting just simply three C's. And um, we're going to find out right away which one of those things has to happen. Yeah, I mean, we're going to find out which which of those has to happen Uh here in, in very short order, I, I think that you know I I think that the bar has been set kind of high. Um, at least I you know I feel like um, you know if you're gonna if you're gonna take anything away from from whatever you've heard, I think you probably want to say, well, he, let's just go ahead and get two A's and a B. Uh, if you you got three classes, um, or you just go ahead and get A's in all of them if you can. But uh, ba- the bottom line is, is that he has graduated, but he has to. He didn't have the GPA two point five. Yeah, didn't have the two five to get into to Lincoln. So he had to retake some classes to get that GPA up, and um, and so he has to get a certain grade in the these three classes that he's in uh, in order to to be able to transfer. Now, um, I, I think that he'll be able to do it. I, I don't I don't have any reason to believe that it's absolutely not going to happen. But at the same time. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a slam dunk either. And if it doesn't happen, then the question becomes, okay, does Nebraska still stick with him and try to get him through you know, an extra class this summer uh, to, in order to make it happen so that he could enroll you know, for the fall semester you know, if he's going to miss this summer or whatever? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, this could potentially be a saga that, that goes on. Uh, if he does, in fact, fall short here soon. Yeah, what is – I mean, is there an option? Is there more summer school, like, where you could take another class if you were below that 2-5 that could bring it up? I mean, I, th- I think, yeah, there's a lot out there, and, and you hope that it just ends here in May and he's on campus in June. Yeah, he says that he says he's comfortable, that he, he that he's doing well, and that he's, that he's confident that he's going to do well in his finals, um, which, you know – Everyone's going to say I, I've never met a recruit or anybody that these these, these kids haven't failed really anything in their lives, yeah. so they're always very confident. Yeah. You I, know, it's not very often you talk to a recruit and you say, "Hey, you know, how are you feeling going into your finals?" Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bomb them all. You know, you you always get, "Oh, I'm doing well, I'm doing well." Uh, so we'll see what happens, but um, you know, there's I mean, there's certainly some tension around it because that would be a big piece if he did not make it somehow, some way. I mean. That'd be a big blow to this backfield. We saw what we saw what it looked like this spring without 
you know, having a guy like that there and, and missing, uh, you know, a lot of Maurice Washington as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that he's going to be a big part of this backfield if he makes it, and, and they certainly need him to do so. Well, especially considering what else is there at the running back position, which isn't much. I mean, especially with Maurice Washington still going through his situation, and um, really outside of that, uh, there's uh, it's pretty barren. So, I mean, I think that the coaches are probably sweating bullets right now yeah, as to. much as anybody because, I mean, Mills, if he's eligible and is a member of the team, he's going to be a significant factor in that running game. I don't think there's any question about it. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of un knowns and a lot of just kind of nervousness and hand-wringing going around about that running back position that um, you know if it all plays out well I think Nebraska is going to be in pretty good spot but there's also just as much of a chance that things can completely fall apart on him well and I think there's a trust factor of Maurice Washington too like let's just say things move forward you know how much trust I don't know if does this team and this coaching staff have 100% trust that okay this is behind them we're just going to move forward with him as the guy I still think he's got to prove a little bit more maturity-wise and some other things that he can be the running back at Nebraska and, and and handle and do all the things on and off the field. I know his grades, he had a good year academically at Nebraska, but um, just, you know, I, I hope this situation he's gone through has been a big wake-up call if it does indeed, you know, move past and he can come forward here and, and, and be a full part of things going forward. Well, that's one thing Ryan Held's been saying from day one is that, um, you know, Maurice Washington is as talented as they come, but he's got to he's got to mature. He's got to grow up. Uh, he's got to he's got to learn to the you know to do all the little things the right way. Um, you know, and, and, and it's doing all those little things the right way is is a sign of maturity. And um, you know, and, and he I think he mentioned it a couple times last fall where you know sometimes you have to kind of uh, hold his hand a little bit and make sure that he's he's getting here when he needs to get here and he's doing that when he needs to do that and, and whatever. Um, you know, and so, yeah, you, you hope that maybe this is was a wake-up call and, and that uh, he does kind of turn the corner in that respect off of the field. Do we have an idea of what is next for him? I know that, that a lot of people on the board were asking about that, of just kind of what, what his situation, like when's his next court date? Well, Friday. When's, Friday, okay. And then, I mean, from there it's just more wait and see? Well, I think it's more will things move into a diversion program and yeah. will the felony get dropped down to a misdemeanor? And, and that's been really – what the thing has been all along. And I believe it's been delayed until the school year is over because you don't want to have any college student having to miss, you know, weeks of classes and things. I mean, I, that, that's a common request. I think when you have a student athlete, especially going from state to state, et cetera. But yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. If it stays as a felony, which would be like an unprecedented thing. I don't know if there'd ever be another situation that we've seen like that um, with the charge that he's gotten from he was a minor when it happened to carrying over now when he's at Nebraska. Um, that would be a huge deal nationally. I, I think most believe this will be a misdemeanor um, as long as kind of things go the way you think in the in the legal process. And then it's just a matter of, if that's the case, what, what Nebraska wants to do. I mean, like, yeah, if there's then, any internal discipline, is he going to be suspended at all? Like, what do you, what do you think? Well, a, mis a misdemeanor is, is a slap on the wrist. There might be a small suspension at that point. A felony, right. you're off the team. Right. I mean, you're done. So it'd I mean, be like a yeah, half or a game at most. The, the, you know, Bo Pelini. Or did, just really hard fall camp workouts. <sighs> I mean, you think yeah. about Polini summer workouts yeah. with Duval. I don't know. handled internally. Caputo basically. Caputo played in a bowl game off a of DUI, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But Ricky Tenaris did not get to play in a bowl game off a of DUI, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, so there's different situations for different. I mean, every situation's different um, with how guys are suspended. Was Brandon Riley suspended for his DUI by Mike Riley? Was it one half or one game? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he sat a game. I think if I remember opener, correctly, right? yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the opener that he set. So but yeah, I mean, for a misdemeanor, <clears throat> half a game maybe. May, I, I would think that would be the most. And and honestly, depending on what it ends up being, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he doesn't miss any time. If it is handled internally over the summer, on top of whatever else he has to do. Because bo bottom line is, he's still going to have to do some sort of probation or community service. I mean, there's going to be And this didn't happen something. under Nebraska's watch. Like, the crime yeah. he committed happened exactly. well before he was at Nebraska. It so before he was on campus. It's not like he did this under Scott Frost's leadership at Nebraska. And so I think that's another thing you got to look at. I mean, it's if he did this, like, 
two months ago in Lincoln, mm-hmm. we're looking at a whole different deal. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, lots to watch on the Washington Mills front, and we'll continue the discussion as I know a lot of people have their eyes on that. But uh, we're going to talk basketball here. We come back. More roster attrition. I know Robin Washett, we talked about it last week. Well, more has come out, at least in the transfer portal. We'll get Robin's thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as things continue to move on the Fred Hoiberg roster and Last week, we hinted on some attrition, and maybe we jumped the gun a little bit. We were almost too far ahead of, of the story, um, Robin, but the story has finally caught up with where Robin Washett was at a week ago. As We reported last week Amir Harris was transferring, and, and those reports were denied by Amir Harris, but now today, on Wednesday, we learned that he is now in the transfer portal. So mm-hmm. um, Amir Harris, Carrington Davis, the latest two Joining Brady Hyman, um, and I know last week you you expected three. Um, Thor was another guy uh, that we thought maybe could be on the on the transfer bubble. Has decided to stay. Your thoughts on the most recent transfer news of Amir Harris and Carrington Davis? So my theory about what happened is when uh, found out the, the the word that we based our report on last week. Uh, basically, all those guys had the same conversation, and. Some guys like Brady Hyman took it one way where other guys like Thor took it another way. And, you know, Brady kind of saw the writing on the wall and decided, all right, well, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to go find a place that is actually going to use me and want me. Whereas Thor was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I like where I am. I'm going to stick it out and uh, keep working hard and, and, and try to be the impact. And then uh, I think some further developments, obviously uh, getting uh, Delano Banton, um, the Western Kentucky transfer probably influenced uh, Amir's uh, situation a little bit because, you know, that's another wing that is going to pass him up on the depth chart. And, you know, maybe he just wanted to kind of think about it a little bit longer than some people, but eventually came to the same decision. Uh, and then Carrington Davis uh, was a name that, you know, obviously wasn't in that original report, but, you know, you can't be totally surprised with him. The guy hasn't played a game of basketball in two years. I mean, he's been riddled with injuries when he had the significant hip injury that uh, basically ended his senior year of high school and then uh, obviously tore his Achilles uh, just before the start of last season uh, so I mean he's just had trouble even getting on the court let alone uh, developing at the Big Ten level so uh, you know I think that was a situation where they're like you know they, the coaches liked his potential you know they saw the film from him when he was one of the best players in uh, the city of St. Louis um, as a junior in high school and everybody knows the potential they like his frame he's a good athlete but I think in the long term, you know, I think that lack of development over the past two years and just the, that injury history uh, probably, you know, led to his un, undoing a little bit. So uh, that's kind of where Nebraska stands right now. Uh, they lost uh, Brady Hyman, Amir Harris, and Carrington Davis, Thor. Thor Bjornarsson is back, leaving them right now, depending on uh, this, this decision with uh, the NBA with Isaiah Roby, with four open scholarships and possibly five. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, there has been for a while, and now the, the workload just got even more for these coaches as uh, you know the, the season approaches more and more by the week. So how does that work with a guy like Amir Harris with the injury? Because it's an ACL. What, what type of injury did he suffer? Achilles. Achilles. So how do you find somewhere to go that's going to let you kind of go through the rehab and, and do all those things knowing that, you're kind of injured in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a rough situation with your future. Well, he's close. I mean, it's almost a full year since his injury. Uh, I mean, I think he heard it last August. So, uh, I mean, he, he's gone a long way in his recovery and is fairly close to being able to go full go on workouts. I don't think that'll be as big of an issue, but you just look at the track record on him. I mean, he's, he's dealt with some significant medical setbacks you know with like i said he had a major hip injury that uh, was a pretty big deal that required a lot of you know rehab and surgery and then to just as he's starting to get back into the mix pops his achilles during a a summer workout uh so i mean it's just one thing after another that he's had to overcome and you know i'm sure there's a school that's going to look at him and remember that he was a really good player uh as a junior in high school i mean he was good enough to transfer to uh 
the school in Florida, blanking on the name of it, a prep school, a kind of a, a factory down there. Uh, he didn't play much, obviously, because of his injury, but I mean, he was highly thought of as, as a pro- prep prospect uh, coming out of his junior season. So I think there's a school, maybe he go back to you know somewhere closer to St. Louis uh, that's going to take a chance on him. And like I said, he's close to getting back to 100%. So I think he'll find a destination somewhere. But um, you know, I think the message from the coaching staff was clear that you know, good luck to you. It's just not going to happen here. Yeah, no matter what the situation is, you're not really going to be in our rotation. And here's another thing to keep in mind, that with first-year coaches per NCAA rules, so there's some confusion because the Big Ten obviously has a policy where four-year uh, scholarships are honored, you know, regardless of whatever. But when it comes to a coaching change, a first-year first coach has that one offseason uh, to do with scholarships as he pleases. So I think what it came down to is, he told Amir Harris, you know, they tried to do it nicely and say, you know, say, we don't think you're going to be in our plans. And then they met with him again and said, you should probably leave. Uh, they have the right to do that. They can end your scholarship as yes. a new staff. Right. Which, which for, is for one off season. That's what they get. So next year they can't do that with guys. If there's like a guy they don't like that's still on scholarship, all they can do is try to convince them to move on. So this is the one grace period that a new coaching staff has to kind of determine what those scholarships, how they're going to be used, where any other year you're not going to do it. And a guy like Thor, he's going to graduate by December or May of next year. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, he's, he's a really good student. His family is extremely smart, so uh, academics is not an issue for him. And so you know, maybe part of his decision was – he wants to finish out his degree and either go somewhere else as a grad transfer, or go back home to Iceland and play professionally. But I do think academics uh, is a big part, and I, I think he likes it here. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of incentive for him to stay regardless of how much he was going to play. And, you know, the one thing that he can do, he can play in space. That was the one thing Tim Miles told me when he committed was, uh, you know, he's not the most athletic guy, he's not the best shooter, but he's a smart player that knows how to play he's a good rebounder, in space. Actually. And so the, one of the hallmarks of the Fred Hoiberg system is spacing. And so I think that, you know, he can help, if nothing else, just being a good practice player. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, again, with so many scholarships open already, Holding him onto him for another year, if that's the case, isn't the worst decision. So let's run down the numbers here. Let's assume Roby's gone, and and I think you believe that's the case. I do. There's two Miles players left on this team. Uh, yes, with Thor and uh, the transfer from uh, and Deshaun Burke. Deshaun Burke. So you got two, and then Johnny Trueblood. His situation is kind of in limbo uh, as far as if he comes back. And it would only be as maybe a scholarship guy. He wouldn't really want to return as a walk-on. I mean, or is yeah. that just kind of a, a fluid situation at this point? Yeah, so he went through senior day, but he still has a year of eligibility because he sat out a season uh, before that. So technically, he does have another year. And, you know, from Johnny's standpoint, I think he wants to come back. But, again, he's not going to do it for free. I think he's going to want to get a scholarship out of the deal. And uh, with the way that he played down the stretch, you make a case for it. But – I think the only way that happens if Nebraska makes it all the way through the summer, essentially, and still has an open scholarship, and maybe they just give him a semester scholarship or something, something to that effect to where, uh, you know, because you kind of want to keep an extra open spot in your back pocket. Miles was pretty good about that, and that's how they got Isaac Copeland. And so with, you know, the, For December transfers. The depend, yeah, the dependency on transfers. I mean, there's going to be a whole new crop of mid-year guys that show up that Nebraska could get in on. So, you know... If, if they do put him on scholarship, which I think is unlikely at this point, uh, it would probably be, you know, a semester by semester case where, you know, they, they put him on for the fall and try to get another mid-year transfer. If it doesn't work out, then maybe they put him back on for the spring. But right now, I would say it's unlikely that he does come back because it's got to be on scholarship. And I don't know if there's going to be one for him. So four spots left in this class now. Four Counting right- Roby gone. No, four right now. With uh, Roby on the team. five if Roby, Roby leaves. So they can be really aggressive here over the yeah. next month. And I wouldn't be surprised if they get some more uh, traditional sit-out transfers that aren't going to immediately help. Um, obviously, they're in on uh, several guys that took official visits already. Uh, they got a kid on campus right now this week. And uh, Shamel, uh, uh, what the heck? Is they it? lost their guy, their big man target from Utah. Yeah. It's yeah, going to yeah. go to Marquette. Yeah, Jace Johnson went to come Shamel Stevenson. That's what I'm thinking of, uh, the kid from Pitt went to Nevada, who is now back on the market after back-to-back coaching changes. Uh, so, you know, he's on official visit. He could be immediately eligible, uh, even though technically he's a traditional transfer. Uh, you can get a, probably make a pretty good case for a waiver. Uh, he's a 6'6", 245-pound 
wing who plays tough. I mean, he's, he's a Big Ten type player that uh, fits kind of the mold of those bulldog dudes that you know, Iowa State had uh, under Hoiberg. So that's one to keep an eye on, definitely, especially with uh, the open scholarships they now have at their disposal. Um, I think that that's one to watch. And then obviously uh, the several other official visitors that have come over the past few weeks uh, are, are going to be in the cards. And um, we'll just kind of have to wait and see how, how this all kind of unfolds. All right. Well, lots to talk about and follow with Nebraska basketball. Nobody does it better than Robin Washington. Make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com to follow Robin's work. We come back. We're going to talk about Bill Moose. Uh, he's already made six new head coaching hires out of 19 head coaches on campus. We just learned this week he's going to make a seventh and maybe even an eighth coming up here this year. So we'll discuss this, this impact that Bill Moose has had next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says, wanted to take some time, guys, to talk about Bill Moose. Um, I know we've talked about him a lot over the last year, but I was just doing the, the the numbers on it, and it's it's remarkable how many coaches he's hired in a year and how many more he could potentially hire. There are 19 varsity men's and women's head coaches that coach the 20, I think 22 different sports. Obviously, sand volleyball and, and uh, regular volleyball share a coach. Cross country shares a coach. Track and field shares a coach. So there are some coaches that do both sides or two different sports. But So there's 19. Bill Moose has already hired six of those 19. We learned this week Nebraska's women's golf coach uh, will be stepping down as well. Uh, she's been here for a long time. Um, name escapes me here. i, I got to pull up my notes here. But um, he'll be making a seventh hire on that. And then there, the women's tennis program, uh, Scott Jacobson, uh, he, he got a DUI March 27th. He's been on suspension. So you're looking at a seventh hire by Bill Moose, then Robin Craffle, the, the women's golf coach, obviously is the seventh, and then potentially an eighth hire out of 19 coaches um, if they make a move in women's tennis with Scott Jacobson. That's insane. I mean, for one, how rare is it just to make a football and men's basketball hire in the same, essentially, tenure? I mean, that that's rare in itself, but to basically not stop anywhere, go clean house uh, from top to bottom, regardless of sport, uh, it really speaks to Bill Moose that when he says something, he means it. And one of the first messages he uh, conveyed uh, when he took over as athletic director was, we're going to up the bar. You know, we're going to raise our standard, not only for football, not only for basketball and any of those main sports, but for everything from golf to tennis to rifle to track, whatever it may be. If you're not pulling your weight and you're not performing at the level that we're going to hold Nebraska athletics to, you're going to be gone and he's backed it up. And so credit Bill Moose for, uh, you know, putting his money where his mouth is and really holding firm and holding these coaches accountable uh, and really setting a standard of the new uh, era of what Nebraska athletics is supposed to be about. Well, I think it kind of makes sense too. I mean, I think for a long time, some other sports just kind of got a pass as long as football was doing well, volleyball was doing well, you know, it's okay. Just graduate your kids. Yeah, graduate your, your kids, keep keep a certain GPA, keep keep your APR high, um, you know, and you just kind of, you know. Gotta, keep your budget in line. Yeah, basically. But now, I mean, the, the message has been sent that, that uh, yeah, you got to continue to do that stuff, but at the same time, you need to be – actually competing for conference titles or, or at least being in the upper half of of your conference uh, at the end of each season and um and kind of pulling your your, your weight too and um you know and, and i i like it i i think that i think the more competitive it is um and that the more you know you're, you're kind of you're kind of on edge a little bit and and uh you know not getting complacent with anything i, I think that's good and um you know I, I feel like back in the day bill Byrne was all about the sears cup and wanted wanted all sports to be good at Nebraska and kind of compete or at least be competitive for the Sears cup. And, um, and I feel like Nebraska kind of got away with from that, uh, over the years. And, and now, you know, the message that, that Bill Moose is sending is that, um, you know, you better be pulling your weight. And I think if everyone starts doing that, you could see Nebraska really start to rise up those Sears cup, uh, rankings too. Well, and Peterson's tenure at Nebraska was obviously rocky. He just didn't, I mean, with the way he fired Solich and then that was where all his effort was put on. And then Osborne was kind of brought in to be kind of the peacemaker to kind of yep. calm the waters, 
there weren't any other coaching changes made other than Mike Anderson was fired by Tom Osborne. And then Doc Sadler was let go as well. Um, but yeah, Sean Eichhorst, you know, other than firing Connie Yori, and I think that was controversial, honestly, yeah. when, when you go back and kind of look at how that all went down, he didn't really do anything. And you go down like what Moose has done. Obviously, Hoiberg and Frost, the two, the two main guys right there. But men's golf, Mark Hankins, Sean uh, Mamie for men's tennis, Heather Brink now is the new women's gymnastics coach and the Rachel Martin's rifle. And then you're going to have a new women's golf, potentially a new women's tennis. And then you start to look, Gary Pepin's, you know, got to be close to his retirement age and track. I don't know how many Never. more years he's got as the men's and women's track coach. Um, but, you know, softball, is, I think softball and baseball are obviously on the watch list. If you're going off the Bill Moose criteria, softball has kind of not had a good run the last few years. They're, they're eighth in the conference this year. Um, you know, going into the in, into the conference tournament, so there'll be some other ones to watch closely. And and as we've seen, Bill Moose is not afraid to to make tough decisions. Erstad's the one that will be interesting. I think there's a lot of fans that debate that. I personally, you know, don't think a change is necessary right now. I mean, maybe next year at this time it could be different. But there's still two weekends left to really judge their season, and they could be in the NCAA tournament very easily. Uh, but it is interesting to kind of watch the aggression he's had. And it's paid off with Mark Hankins. Uh, Big Ten men's golf, they finished fifth. The last five years before that, 11th, 12th, 13th, 13th, and 11th were their finishes. By far their best year in, in history for men's golf at Nebraska since joining the Big Ten. Well, I mean, we're talking about that bar. I think that needs to apply for every sport. Why, why would baseball get a, a, a pass on that? And I, I get it that, you know, there's a lot of good. And I know Bill Moose is – been a vocal fan of Darren Erstad. Like he, I think he really wants Darren to do well, but at the same time, I they're mean, third in the conference right now. Yeah, and with you know two pretty significant series to go here. But what I'm saying is, uh, I mean, the fan base is kind of getting restless. I think, and that's when you first kind of put up your your red flag is when the fans start turning on a coach. That's when I think you really have to evaluate uh, what's going on. And maybe you know, like a lot of cases, it's just a, a vocal minority. And the, the majority of the hand, uh, fan base is still on board. But, you know, I think at some point, you know, Nebraska has or devotes far too many resources for them not to be a consistent contender in the Big Ten. And there's been far too much inconsistency with that program that, and especially in a conference. In that, the postseason, particularly. Yeah, yeah. And especially and with one postseason win. In a conference that is usually up for grabs every year outside of, you know, a, kind of a rotating handful of teams, you know, Nebraska should be an established. Uh, like continuous success in the Big Ten. And the reason that they're not, I guess there's no answer to right now. You know, the fascinating part, I think, about that conversation is that uh, not only is Darren Erstad, you know, played the game at the highest level, um, and, and he's a Nebraska legend but for both baseball and football. Uh, but he's, he's an also, Osborne guy. <laughs> he's an Osborne guy. He's donated a million dollars to the athletic department before he started coach. You know, before he was the head coach at Nebraska. I mean, there's a lot of different layers to that onion. Uh, if you're if you're Bill Moose, that you know, kind of well, has to factor into your decision. Uh, you know, if if and when you you kind of get to that point in time. I think the shadow of Van Horn and Childress, particularly. <laughs> still looms so large over this program where they have enough credibility in the baseball community in this state to go in and get top high school kids from Nebraska to Arkansas and Texas A&M. That's how good those guys were. And everybody was so captured by 99 to 06. I mean, 99 to 06, baseball was tuned in radio. You had, yeah. you had to have the radio on wherever you were at. I mean, I remember going out to like lake parties on Memorial Day and the whole dang lake had the Nebraska baseball game on the radio because it was like super regionals or regionals. Yep. And I think people love that period of time so much. They want it back. They want to go back to Omaha for the college world series. And it's a matter of, can that happen again? I mean, like how close can they ever get back to that? Is the big 10 hurt them in some respects? Could they just shell out a lot of money in a revenue losing sport? to get back there because that's the other reality. Baseball is not a revenue sport at Nebraska mm -hmm. because the Huskers do not own the concession revenues at Hawksfield Haymarket Park. That goes to the, the, the Salt Dogs organization and whatnot. So um, even in their best years, when they sold that place out, eight 9,000 every game, they did not make a revenue. And so 
how do you, how do you kind of balance that in a sport that's losing money when you're trying to obviously run a budget as well? Yeah, and I guess along with that though, I mean the money that Nebraska does put into that program, I mean <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why uh, they should be better. Uh, and so you know regardless of how much money they make, I mean there's enough money being poured into that program that uh, I mean the results should follow accordingly. And you know again, if you're gonna sit there and say that you know Tim Miles didn't do enough. Well, probably the SEC say, and the ACC. the exact same thing about Darren Erstead. SEC and ACC, they charter private jets to almost all their games. Nebraska flies commercial. So there's still a big difference from the top two conferences in college mm-hmm. baseball to the Big Ten. But as why far can't as, Nebraska be competitive in the Big Ten? Well, they are. Yeah. I mean, they had one bad year last year. They should year. probably be more consistent, though, I, mean, I would say. They, they won the Big Ten two years ago, and they've had three second-place finishes under Erstad. Um, last year, they had all their guys get hurt in the pitching staff, and they finished ninth or tenth or whatever it was. They're third right now. Um, I, I think last year scarred your thoughts so much. I mean, everyone's pissed off. They didn't make it to Omaha. They didn't mm-hmm. play in the Big Ten tournament, and it was embarrassing. But they still haven't been terrible in the Big Ten. They've been terrible in the postseason, right? Losing to like Ivy League schools and and, page- really, and really, that's what matters. I mean, if you're not winning in the postseason, whether it's your conference tournament, especially if it's 50 miles up the road. Uh, or you know, getting even remotely close to the College World Series play—that's what fans think of. They don't really care about the midweek win over Northern Colorado or whatever it takes to bolster your wins, win total. It's what do you do in the postseason? And right now, that's been an epic failure. Yeah, I was I was listening. I heard someone say the other day that Nebraska's got more losses to non-scholarship teams in the postseason than they do wins. In the They're post- one in six under Erstad yeah. in, in postseason play, and they've lost. To, I mean. There was Holy Cross, yeah, Holy Cross, and Yale, and and yeah, yeah, (laughs) non scholarship. And they shared a plane. I mean, that was the most embarrassing thing Mm -hmm. when they went out there. Those two teams were like from Connecticut in that area in Boston, um, and and they shared a plane. And then they picked up Nebraska and Lincoln, and Nebraska got on the plane as the Big Ten champions, and they flew out to Corvallis. And they they lost. They didn't even get to play Oregon State. They they lost to those two teams that they were perceived to beat and they shared a plane with them going, I mean, yeah, it was uh, not a pretty deal. I remember Kevin suits did a stand up in front of Mike Riley's house um, in Corvallis for those regionals, by the way, that was an interesting time. In <laughs> yeah, Nebraska very interesting time. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin, I had to, I had to make fun of you a little bit there, but we come back, we're going to take the questions in the mailbag. We got our baseball guy, Mike Wheeler in studio. We'll get his thoughts on baseball and take his questions next. You're listening here to the Husker online show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and we're bringing in our baseball intern, one of our baseball interns, Mike Wheeler, also a former. You were, good, you were on a state championship baseball team, weren't you, Mike? Oh, uh, we didn't win state, actually. That was the year right after me, but uh, we had some good guys on that team and uh, ended up making the state tournament, but uh, season didn't end up the way we wanted it to. All right, I wanted to ask you this, and we were just talking baseball Give us your 45-second answer on on this season and kind of your thoughts on these final two weekends. Well, you know, with the way that Nebraska has ended their seasons these past few years, I can understand the level of frustration that Nebraska fans do have with kind of what's going on here. But um, I, I think the thing that is really standing out to me is the way the pitching staff is doing. They're keeping their team in games. Uh, when the bats aren't doing very well. And so I I think these last two series against Arizona State and Michigan are really going to kind of uh, show you where this team is at. Because like you said, they're they're still third in the Big Ten right now. So they're going to be heading off that Big Ten tournament. And uh, where these last two series end up, I think, is going to be big. And getting that win... The one win at Northwestern, I know it, w- it was a moot point, but still a big deal just to get a win, I think, because that obviously really solidified probably a spot in Omaha at that point. Yeah, it, with that win, it actually made the team so they uh, would finish above 500 on the year in Big Ten play. All right, well, let's get to the mailbag, Mike. What do you got? All right, so we'll start off with basketball recruiting. Uh, now that Jace Johnson is off the board, uh, are there any post players that uh, head coach Fred Hoiberg is after? And what are the chances that Nebraska gets them? Oh, yeah, there's several that have already taken official visits uh, to Lincoln. Um, none of them are going to fit that seven-foot mold, though, at least not our, not right now. And that's, I think, the, the thing Nebraska fans need to swallow, that they kind of had this unicorn finally show up in their backyard when Jace took an official visit. Seven foot, two hundred thirty-five pound, big. You know, played in the Pac-12. 
uh, and can run and seemed to be the ideal piece for what Fred Hoiberg wanted to do next season. So uh, they missed out on that. Uh, it was a surprise development. I know Nebraska was very confident that um, Jace was going to commit, but ended up sticking with Marquette. Uh, and so now Nebraska turns the page to that, that next wave. And a lot of those guys are going to fit the mold of the 6'8", 6'9", 230, 240-pound power forward types that uh, can also play the post, but they're just not going to have that commanding seven-footer typical Big Ten center frame, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I think people get so caught up in the idea that you need a 6'10", seven-foot guy to win in this league, and you don't. Uh, I mean, obviously it helps, but Nebraska's had big guys that weren't any good, and so you would rather have more talented players that know how to play a physical brand of basketball. So Let's just go down the names. Uh, Ivan Oedrago, uh, the kid from Paris, France, took an official visit, has Nebraska in his top three, along with Georgia Tech and TCU. Uh, Kevin Cross, the 6'9", 240-pound power forward out of Little Rock, Arkansas, took an official visit. Um, he went to Southern Miss, uh, coincidentally with Doc Sadler, t- t- went to Oklahoma State, and then just went to TCU. Um, probably be making a decision here pretty soon. Uh, and then you know they have uh, Joel Ntambwe, uh, the transfer from UNLV, who – I don't know if he's necessarily in that mold. I mean, he's 6'9", 220, 230, but I think he wants to be more of a wing. But uh, he's also visited. And so, and then this week, obviously, uh, with Shamil Stevenson, uh, he's 6'6", 245. Plays more as a wing, but can play more as a four if, if you need him to. So those are some of the names that we know about right now. Uh, but with the transfer market, there is no set deadline, and uh, new names could certainly pop up along the way. All right, guys, so heading over to the football team, uh, specifically on the defensive side, if you had to rank the following three in priority for the Blackshirts to take a step forward this year, which would it be as far as uh, D-line physicality, linebacker pass rush, or the secondary speed? I'd say D-line physicality, far and away, number one for me. Um, I think the secondary is going to be fine regardless because the pass rush helps them if they can get to quarterbacks and, and, and win on early downs because of defensive line physicality, everything else will look better. So that's my number one. I, I don't know if there's much of a difference between two and three for me, but I think the D-line physicality, I do think it's heading in that direction. Well, and Scott Frost has said that as much, and it goes for the offense too. They, to win in this league, you need to be fit the more dominant physical team in the trenches and so for defense that starts with the front and like you said Sean a good D-line makes the rest of your defense look a whole lot better Uh, you can have the best secondary but if they're having to sit there and cover for 10 to 15 seconds on every play and with zero pass rush uh, and you know the the running game is doing whatever it wants uh, it doesn't matter so everything defensively starts up front and so making that uh, a priority I think is a smart thing yeah I'm right I'm right there with you guys I think that it is the D-line. Um, I, I think that they're going to make the biggest strides. I think coming out of spring football, that's what the talk was, <clears throat> especially from the offensive coaches, was just how different that group looked. Um, and, and more than anything, I, I know from, from listening to Coach Tuioti talk, you know, he's all about stopping the run. They, they have to stop the run before they do anything, before you get into talking about pass rush, whether that's from the D-line or linebackers or whatever. Uh, they've got to stop the run first and foremost, and, and I think we're going to see an improved unit in that regard. All right, taking your questions in the mailbag with Mike Wheeler. What's next, Mike? All right, so you're with the football team uh, with recruiting now. Uh, so this poster kept on seeing predictions of the class ranking, recruiting ranking being between 10 and 15. Uh, they see that mostly three stars and some four stars that the team is pursuing. But are there higher rank recruits that are not public that uh, the team's sitting good with? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's there, now if if you're asking if there's a bunch of five stars that Nebraska is like sandbagging, no. I mean, that's that's never the case. Um, you know, there's every now and then you might be in the conversation with one or two of those guys, and there's only about 20 to 25 a year. Um, and, and right now, Nebraska is not really a player with any of those five-star guys unless you had somebody like a Turner Corcoran or, or you know, Xavier Betts or, 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 you know, whatever. One of those guys maybe get bumped up. Uh, but there are a lot of a lot of four star guys, um, you know, and even high three star players that I think could eventually get bumped up into being into the rivals two fifty or or at least four stars just outside of the two fifty uh, that that uh, we're going to see you know Nebraska kind of be in the conversation with and and a lot of those guys I think are going to be visiting uh, here over the next six weeks or so I, I think that there's going to be some some big names making their way to town whether it's for a camp or or for you know Big Red Weekend or or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's, there's going to be some big names, and, and we're going to see recruiting kind of pick up 
um, you know, from here. And Nate, to back up Nate's point here on the five stars, right now on Rivals.com, we only have 26. There's not a five star in even a bordering state to Nebraska no. right now. And generally, it's got to be a 500-mile radius five star or a legacy. And, and the same goes for a lot of Big Ten West programs. I mean, I, Iowa um, – AJ Epinesa, Epinesa, who's a projected first round draft pick, he's a legacy to Iowa. Yep. He's from Illinois as well, um, so it's really difficult because yeah, you're, you're talking about guys that are that would have to cross multiple states to get to Nebraska when all of those Power Five programs right there have already put all the resources on that guy to get them on campus earlier. So it's a, it's an uphill climb unless there's a guy in like Missouri or Colorado or Kansas or somewhere where Nebraska could get a, a five-star, which just doesn't happen very often. Yeah, or, you know, the JUCO route. Nebraska's got five-star JUCOs in the past, but the rivals does not hand out five-stars to, to junior college players uh, quite like they used to. Uh, it's, they're, they're pretty rare. All right, we got time for one last question with Mr. Mike Wheeler. All right, so we'll keep it light here. Uh, you know, in honor of CNL Dairy Suite uh, kind of getting demolished this past week or this past week here in Lincoln, what is your guys' favorite ice cream flavor? That was actually a question, by the way. Hmm. First of all, I had never been to CNL Dairy. I've been to Lee's Chicken. Um, hadn't been to Lee's Chicken for years, but um, that it, it was terrible to hear the news and um, you know with, with the storm over the weekend uh, around Lincoln. But favorite flavor of ice cream? I'm a, I'm a cookies and cream guy. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a. Uh uh, what is it? Not Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, maybe it's Ben and Jerry's. Uh, that does the, uh, the Tonight Dough, the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Dough. It's basically just like a mixture of cookie dough and brownie dough, Ooh. like mixed in with like a chocolate vanilla swirl. It's pretty decadent. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I I guess I've never really. Yeah, I, I like most ice cream. I guess I don't really discriminate. Vanilla. Uh, yeah, <laughs> vanilla, whatever. I I guess you know if I'm gonna pick up something special, it's probably like a a cookie dough or or like a cookies and cream or something like that. What's your guys' so. favorite ice cream place in Lincoln? The Vonicone. Right I'd down probably, the street yeah. from the office. Yeah, here. yeah, probably. The Vonicone. Establishment. And they make it all right there. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah they got the maker right cash there. Cash only, baby. It's a cash only mm-hmm. joint. You know a cash only joint is uh, legit. One time I didn't have cash, and they are like, it's okay. You can just come back and pay us later. No way. I swear. Yeah. And so I went back and went to the ATM and paid them. Yeah, I've taken kit. Very good, Robin. I've taken hey. my girls Karma. down there a couple times. It's kind of fun to park at the office, walk to yeah, a lot sure. of cone. We, we haven't had the winter or the year to do it yet with the weather. So Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but all right, well, that wraps it up for the mailbag. Mike, it's always good to see you. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with more recruiting talk with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Shot Callahan and Nate Klaus as we talk some recruiting here, Nate. And I wanted to lead off with this topic because it always kind of is a hot button topic and it's typically initiated by Iowa media members. Um, our, our good friends at Hawkeye Report, Blair Sanderson, Tom Cakehart, uh, Blair um, always does kind of an audit of the Rivals database every May to kind of see who makes the most offers. And, you know, in some ways, it's to show how many offers Nebraska and Iowa State have made, the two rivals for Iowa. And typically, Nebraska and Iowa State are one, two, or right in the top five every year. And once again, that's the case. You reported this week in the three and out column that Nebraska's now made over 420 offers verbally for the class of 2020. A lot of reaction to that because, you know, the the average Joe that doesn't understand recruiting is going to say, well, what happens if all 420 want to commit? What happens? And, and, you know, it's it's a sticky debate with verbal offers, Nate, and committable offers. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different layers to it. The bottom line is that um, Nebraska has let the guys know, the guys that can commit right away, they know. Um, And those are the guys at the very top of their board. Um, now, the other guys that, that have offers but are maybe in the middle of the board, um, those are players that Nebraska has, has said, hey, we really like you. We think that you fit our system um, and that you would excel in our schemes, but we want to continue to build a you know, relationship with you. We want to get you on campus and, and uh, you know, continue to, to, to grow and develop a, a relationship between one another. And so 
Um, and that's kind of that's that's kind of code for saying, hey, we like you, but we we're not going to take a commitment from you quite yet. Um, and and so and, and these boards fluctuate. I mean, probably daily. I mean, legitimately. Um, and, and, you know, right now Nebraska might have, uh, in an, an offensive tackle board where there might be 20 guys on that board that they would take a commitment from, uh, right away. And then there might be, um, you know, and they get another commitment to go along with Turner Corcoran. Then all of a sudden that, that list may be cut down to, you know, maybe, maybe five or 10 guys that they would take a commitment from immediately. Um, and so, I mean, these boards are, are constantly in flux and there's guys coming off the board because they're making, you know, decisions to go elsewhere. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's a deal where the, you know, Iowa media or Iowa fans in particular, uh, and even some of the coaches, I know Brian Ferentz has, has publicly said some, some things about schools and the amount of offers that they make, but um, you know, and they seem to have a problem with it, but I, I kind of like it from Nebraska's perspective. They have to recruit nationally. And when you're talking about a kid from South Carolina, um, you know, and, and telling them about what Nebraska's like and how they got to you got to get to Lincoln, Nebraska to see it. And you got to experience a game day or you got to come to come to see campus and and what you know, what downtown is like and this and that. Well, you, you really think that kid is going to like hop on an airplane uh, because you told him how great it is without an offer. Uh, you kind of have to get an offer to to get your foot in that door and, and to go ahead and entice them uh, to to come out. It's almost like you have to give them something, um, you know, kind of somewhat of a commitment in order to to get something back in return from some of these kids. And um, <clears throat> with the way that Frost and the staff has operated, they are not shy about doing the evaluations and and making a ton of offers. And and that's the key point there is that they're still evaluating. It's not like they're just blanketing the country and, and saying, okay, come one, come all, anyone can have an offer from Nebraska. They're doing legit evaluations here. I have not seen a kid uh, that, that got an offer from Nebraska where I kind of kind of scratched my head and said, I don't know, this might be. Because you could have assistant coaches that used to just kind of make offers without maybe yeah. the blessing of the recruiting staff or the head coach. But a lot of times, and we saw this, Nate, I mean, there was a guy that, Randy Jordan, or not Randy Jordan, but Keith Williams offered, we were in San Antonio, uh, that receiver, ended up being a top 250 guy. Remember the young kid? Yep. And and we could tell the story now because this kid's long gone signed and the coaches are long gone. And somebody from the recruiting staff says, we never offer that guy. Well, the coach offered that guy. Yeah, but coach the, offered The it. recruiting staff did it. And, you know, this kid ended up being a top. I mean, the offer was verified. He, he, he signed with Texas A&M last yeah, year. Yeah, and he was and, a top 250 player in the, in the country. And because of the lack of communication <clears throat> with coach and recruiting staff on that, there was some that offer is not a legit offer type of talk. And yep. I think this staff is a lot more organized on that front. Absolutely. And and a lot of that comes from the familiarity with one another, that, that they've done this now for several years, dating back to, to Central Florida. Um, you know, and it's really pretty fascinating to see just how much, how well of an well-oiled machine this is because, um, you know, last week, for instance, I know that, um, that Troy Walters was making the rounds in the Dallas area and, and they, they offered a defensive back. And so, um, my understanding is that Troy Walters sees this kid at practice and says, dang, this, this kid is, he's a heck of an athlete. We need to, we need to get this guy evaluated and, and get this kid offered uh, because, you know, he, he would fit in well with what we want to do and what, what Travis Fisher likes. So he calls up the recruiting office and says, hey, pull the film on this kid, send it to, send it to Travis Fisher and, and, you know, see if he's on board with this offer. And if he is, I'll go ahead and make the offer before I leave practice here. <clears throat> So this this all happens within you know thirty minutes, and and the kid goes ahead and gets an offer, and and uh, you know it's that type of communication and and kind of knowing okay I know what this coach wants to work with and what he likes, and so um, you know they, they work well with one another, and and that's part of the reason why they're so efficient in their, in their evaluations and can offer so many guys. And we've seen over the years, Nate, bad communication with offers, and we've seen some coaches a la Vince Merrill, a la John Blake, maybe take a commit of a guy and it, got, it goes public before the rest of the staff even knows and it causes a little bit of a rift. Like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, you know, yeah. I, you know, you taking this commit means we can't take any of my guys now or whatnot, and that's not the case, obviously, this staff. No, it's not. And I, I think one of the more 
famous ones was the Sean Botman, the the linebacker out of Carl Pellini took that one, right? Well, no, that was Mike Eckler. Um, yeah, <laughs> he, he showed up for you know for the spring game and committed, and or he committed and then showed up for the spring game, and he was like. 510 Aaron Buzo, Aaron, Aaron Buzos was another that was a Marvin he was at the game in the fall and Marvin didn't even go up and say hi to him yeah and he goes hey coach it's me Aaron <laughs> and Marvin just goes oh and I mean it was Mike Machete must have just I mean yeah he sold a pyramid scheme to Marvin on that one or else yeah or else Machete had had plenty of blackmail on <laughs> On Marvin to to go ahead and, and get that deal uh, going, but that's a whole nother radio show. Um, I, I think that that yeah, those are two great examples of well, Wallace uh, Franklin and Broderick Nickens. I remember John Blake took their commits without like the staff knowing, yeah. it. and I remember Callahan was pretty upset. Yeah, um, you know that those commits, you know, because he's. I, I remember he was like, hey, th- those aren't official yet, you know. And, yeah, well, and and Blake. You know, Blake's one of those recruiters. He was in, you know, he was kind of, uh, he was kind of a freelancer, uh, just like you Vince, know, Marrow. Vince Marrow was. He took a commit as he took the Kentucky job. Yep. He before he left to Kentucky, he took that kid from Akron McKinley, without Ross Ells or Rick Kaczynski knowing about it. Yep. I remember that he was like a three-star defensive lineman or something. from Akron McKinley High School. Yep. They had offers to nobody else. And it was a complete mystery. The, we couldn't get a hold of the kid. You know, there was like nobody could confirm if the kid even had like a legitimate offer or anything. It was, uh, yeah, there was, you don't see that on this staff. I'll put it that way. The the organization and the the level of communication between all the staff members um, is is part of the reason why you're not seeing those types of things happen and and why you're able to see, you know, the staff offer this many guys. And um, and I like it. I, I think it's I think it's a smart approach when you have to recruit the way Nebraska does. Um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's smart to go out and, and offer as many guys as you like and and kind of whittle it down from there instead of um, investing a ton of your time on only you know 150 of those guys and and then you know missing out on on a lot of them um, and then not even having the chance to recruit the you know the the th- remaining 300 or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think that this strategy is, is smarter. We'll see. Uh, but I'll tell you what, so far they've done very well and they've been very efficient with their official visits, more efficient with their official visits than, than any other coaching staff has been in the first, you know, two cycles that they've been here. And one of the things I like, Nate, is how they've maximized the seven weeks that you get out on the road by having the red white game on April 13th versus April 20th. It gave them an extra week which lets you almost use all of your days more wisely. And the staff will go out on Sunday, and they typically get back in Thursday night or Friday morning, and then they always meet now on Fridays, is my understanding, to go over the new offers, to go over the board, to keep that communication. I think that was something that they were really excited about because the spring game this year was earlier. It allowed them to have those Fridays as days in the office versus having coaches out on the road. Yeah, and, and, and those those days in the office are invaluable during times like this because when you've got the whole coaching staff that's out on the road um, <clears throat> making offers. I mean, it is hard to, it's hard to kind of, you know, keep a, keep up to track with everything that's going on. And so when you can get into the office, you can get into the war room and, and actually look, physically look at the board and see what it looks like. Um, you know, that's, that helps out an awful lot. Well, lots to follow on recruiting on Nate's got a busy weekend. He'll have some coverage uh, from the road, uh, this weekend and baseball, Arizona state comes into Lincoln for a big series. Mike Wheeler and the interns will have you covered and obviously Robin Washett, uh, will keep you up to date on all the roster news. So make sure you log on to huskeronline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 